Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today through this podcast as we do each week as we summarize, look over the sermon from this past Sunday. We've been in a series on worship. This is our 10th message uh, on that, on worship, which seems like a lot for worship as I think about it here now. Uh, But we are kind of uh, in a little mini series within the series on the ordinances that God has given us because this is something that we do in public worship. Uh, which is baptism and Lord's Supper. We'd already looked at Lord's Supper together, which if you remember I said was backwards. Should have done baptism first, then Lord's Supper, but with scheduling, that's how we did it. Uh, but this week was baptism, focusing in on on baptism uh, that God has had given us. I started the service, though, I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on this, with reading from a book that we actually have in our bookstall by Tim Chester. The book is called Truth We Can Touch. Uh, be a good book for you to read. If you, if you like to read, you can pick it up, like I said, at our bookstall by a donation. I guess, to be honest, we don't even know if you give a donation and you just took it. We would, right. I mean, I guess we could do the cameras, but that's a lot of work. Yeah. I yeah. Would, just being honest, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I don't want Rhonda to have to sit there and just watch the cameras. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's at the it's at the bookstall. It, it is a, a good book, um, and I encourage you to look at the bookstall. There's a bunch of books there uh, for kids and different things. Again, just... I don't know how often you think about it, but but go by there and look. But this book is there, and he had a he had a thing that I that I read about the power of uh, symbols and visual symbols, and he compared the way he he brought this out was saying the stars and stripes being burned. We see that, and some people that brings a lot of emotion for the one burning the flag. It's it's like a protest or, mm-hmm. or we will see this in other nations. They'll burn in the American flag and they're saying, we don't like you. We don't like what you stand for. Right. right. And it, it can feel uh, personal, even though they're just burning fabric that really doesn't have any value to it other than how much fabric costs. But yet we can feel that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just bringing up why. And it's he's saying because these, that flag represents something and there's power in that. And it's the same with the ordinances that we, that we see God gave us these visual things and there's power in them because of what they are representing and what it means. I thought that was a, I just wanted to read that cause I thought that was good, especially I don't remember when it was last year, two years ago, Christians were up in arms and Americans were up in arms over something happening in an NFL game with a guy kneeling down. I mean, just, furious over it and it brings to light like you know some would say who cares it's one guy going on a knee what does that matter and it's the anthem it's just a song what that Mm -hmm. it's nothing is really happening there right but there was power there behind it because of what it was representing what it symbolized right and what it stood for um and so i think that's a good thing to think about as we enter we're talking about baptism and what does baptism mean and what is happening what is happening in baptism the other thing he laid in front of his, uh, us in that book when I was reading it was the thing of, uh, and I thought this was very um, personal because for a long time here at this church growing up, we observed Lord's Supper almost exclusively in the evening services. And so our evening services were never attended like our morning service, never has been as long as I can remember. And so asking the question, what would happen in your life if you hadn't seen worship service in worship all of a sudden? 
What what would you think? How long would it take before you raise the question? Baptisms, I think, is a little different. In a Baptist church, people would ask, hey, we haven't had baptism in four years. What's going on or whatever? Um, but compare that to singing. And that's what he specifically did in the book. What happened if your church didn't sing for a week or two weeks? How long would it take before an uproar happened? And the question is just like, why? Why the uproar for singing or some other thing in the service, but we don't see an uproar about Lord's Supper? What do you guys think about that? What are your guys' thoughts in that area? I mean, I think it shows <clears throat> what we instinctively think is spiritually valuable. Um, so there's, I think, again, it goes, there's, there's, I, there is this idea that because these are, these things are material elements like water, the cup and bread, um, they're somehow inferior. And, um, and so uh, we also have, uh, I think partially, this is also the effect of, uh, of intense revivalism where um, singing can uh, easily stir up people's emotions. And that equals in many people's minds, sincere religious expression and truth of heart and depth of depth of conviction. Whereas um, the idea of baptism and then the Lord's supper um, having some kind of spiritual, not simply where I'm sitting there remembering Jesus, but actually giving me spiritual nourishment, I think to many people has uh, the idea of, of appearing Roman Catholic, and it also um, seems to pale in significance compared to um, my personal interior relationship with Jesus. Yeah, And I think that's really what's uh, because it, it, it it's interesting. Uh, Luther had to face a, a similar question, and he had a different understanding of baptism and the Lord's Supper than we do. But one of the things he was having to deal with is people were saying, you know, what's the use of these things? And and uh, Luther was trying to highlight the fact that God gives us, God does. Now, of course, he was again meaning it differently. But I think the general point is helpful: is God does use material things for our spiritual nourishment. I mean, even think about this. Language is part of creation. Vibrations in the air, words, are creation things, just as much as water is, and just as much as bread and the cup is. And yet the Holy Spirit uses those vibrations in the air to bring saving faith to our hearts. And then he uses water and bread and a cup to confirm and seal and sign that faith to us, that same thing. So So one of the things, Chess... Tim Chester says in his book that I thought was helpful is when we see passages in scripture for baptism and it says you are saved by baptism. So like Noah, uh, Noah, it says Noah was saved by the water, Mm. which is ludicrous. The water was what was threatening his life. It wasn't the water that saved him, but yet that's the language that's used there. And then, and then Peter will use the example of Noah. And he says, similarly, you are saved by baptism. Mm -hmm. And we would, we would go, Oh no, you know, what is he talking about here? But what he says is it's the exact same as saying you are saved by the gospel. Right. What is the gospel? The gospel is words. The gospel is this story, this message of what Christ has done. Baptism is a visual of what Christ has right. done. It's the so, gospel preached. Yeah, you are yeah. saved by the gospel. You are saved by baptism. Same thing, but yet uh, as Baptists, we'd be very hesitant to say you are saved by baptism. But it's like, well, what do you mean by that? Right. Well, same as when I saying you're saved by the gospel. That was helpful to me. I know when I read mm-hmm. it, and that, I thought of that as you were talking about words. Yeah, and, and I think that's so important because baptism is a visible sermon yeah. to us yeah. mm-hmm. of God's grace. Mm-hmm. And I, it, I, 
it's like, I'm not trusting this. I'm not trusting the H2O mm-hmm. to re- change my heart, but I'm trusting, but the, God has taken the word and connected it to the H2O mm-hmm. to symbolize to me and preach to me a visible sermon of what Christ has done and who he is mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And every time I believe that, I am believing what baptism preaches to me. And therefore, in that sense, mm-hmm. I am saved by baptism, by what baptism signifies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. I was going to ask you, Spencer, do you know, do Lutheran churches, and it might be different between Lutheran right. churches because uh, they don't all do the same thing, do they usually practice the Lord's Supper every Sunday? I think the practice has differed. I think a lot of them probably do now, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know... I, I would say that probably is not a uniform practice from my from my limited acquaintance with them, but yeah, I yeah. would say some of them do though. Gotcha. I was, I was just thinking that I think back to your question of w- how long would it take for us to notice. Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason why it's not considered as important to the average church member is simply because we don't do it every Sunday. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so it's already in some sense probably not intentionally. But the way we've set up, the way we've scheduled to do it, as opposed to if we didn't sing on a Sunday, people would notice it immediately because we do that every Sunday. Right. Mm-hmm. But if we didn't do Lord's Supper for over six months, people probably wouldn't notice because we've already not made it a consistent thing that we do every mm-hmm. single week. It's not given as much place of prominence mm-hmm. on a weekly basis. We yeah. do definitely make it prominent when we do it. Yeah, we do it. But every... I, I would just say I think that's probably one of the reasons why they wouldn't notice. Yeah, we You're do it right. every six weeks. Yeah, we do have a schedule here. Yeah, um, um, mm-hmm. but and baptism so, yeah. people would notice that, like, because it, like you, like you said, we're a Baptist church. It kind of defines uh, us in a big way, mm-hmm. of you know, because we equate that with people aren't getting saved. Mm. You know, people aren't coming to Christ. What? You know, and we, we well, it's generally because if baptisms aren't happening here, people are thinking, "Is God working here?" Because no baptisms are taking place. Generally, but that yeah, same question would, would be asked if the Lord's Supper is not happening. Right. Yeah, but my point was just yeah, no, I agree it's with because you. we yeah. don't give it as yeah. much of a place of prominence because we don't do it every week. I'm not advocating that we do. Right. I just think that's a that's an explanation. Yeah, I just think it, in reality, you know, like I I know the music thing. One week it'd be like, "What the heck? We didn't sing. What's yeah. going on?" Yeah. And I get that they would think something's wrong because it's consistent. Yeah. We can do that, but I mean, I would have a, I would have an issue if uh, we've went three months and we haven't had Lord's Supper, and it's like, why are you not complaining we haven't had Lord's Supper? Because by now we would have done it two to three times, and we are pretty consistent in that. Um, but the, the same goes for me because I would notice if music didn't happen. But I, I would say in my past it would have been like Lord's Supper. I, I don't. Oh, we have, we skipped a week, or we you know we skipped this quarter. I didn't even notice. Uh, I do think it says something about where we put value in mm. in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the message was on baptism, not Lord's Supper. But I just thought that was yeah. a, a helpful mm-hmm. thing uh, to think about at the beginning of the of the message uh, mm-hmm. that he put in his book there. I, I think yeah. it was right at the beginning of his book mm-hmm. in the intro. And I, Yeah, I think this is a really good discussion because um, on the one hand, what, what you're not saying, and uh, I think what Scott pointed out was helpful is, we do believe there is, if you're going to rank priority, you you need the word preached and read. That's that's because we though that that word is what uh, is the the ordained means by which God converts people is through mm-hmm. the preaching and the reading of God's word. We believe that the the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper 
are, are seals of that invisible word. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a priority given to the preached word um, that we don't want to deny in the red word. But on the other hand, um, it seems as if uh, there is a neglect of these signs and seals, these visible things, baptism and the Lord's Supper, um, to where I think the early church would have thought it very weird that you would have thought you could have uh, experienced the Christian life and church life without these things on mm-hmm. a regular basis. That would have been odd um, in the early church's experience. Um, and I think they would have, they, we, to, to that extent, we are actually depriving ourselves of great blessing um, and our church of great blessing um, to the extent in which we undervalue those things. I think the fact that we have to, you know, define and, and explain like and you've done you know, a phenomenal job you know doing that Tim as far as like here's what the scriptures teach it shows you how far we've moved away from this basic the basic tenets of Christianity and I think part of it is entertainment you know we, we are entertainment driven and so the singing the performing if you will is more kind of like oh yeah that's because mm. that's kind of our culture mm. and then part of it is the baggage that Lord's Supper and baptism have for centuries, you know, in the, in the, with, with institutional yeah. church, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's Catholicism or mainline religion. And, uh, and so it's really, it's really teaching people to unlearn things they've learned about things that they probably don't even realize they've learned about, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we, sometimes we have to unlearn things to relearn, you know, and I think that is why we're even having these discussions, but the first century church or even going into the second century, they would have been like, this is like basic stuff. This is right. scriptural. This is like what you do as a follower of Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. but we're pretty far removed from that raw Correct. organic, if you will. So yeah. Correct. Yeah. And things change, you know, I, <clears throat> I think sometimes churches lift up that first generation church and like we need to get back to that and i don't know i don't know if that's true right Um, yeah because there was there was a lot of differences uh in time and culture but it seems like they were meeting every day that's what it seems like they were getting together i don't know if they were doing lord's supper every day but it seems like they were doing it pretty regularly however they were doing that um but yeah i just I think sometimes people, I, I've heard church leaders were like, we're going back to the New mm-hmm. Testament style church. No, you're not. Yeah, right. <laughs> we can't do that here. It's just right. not, it's not possible to be like yeah. that. Um, all right. So when we, the way kind of went into the message is I wanted us to see the pattern that seemed to be set up in the New Testament uh, for baptism. And so we looked at uh, Peter preaching Pentecost uh, in Acts chapter two. We looked at Acts eight with Philip and the eunuch. And we looked at Acts 16 where uh, Paul uh, shares the gospel with some ladies and a woman by the name of Lydia is, is converted. She's saved. And it says even her household uh, is saved and baptized as a result of, of this. Uh, but the pattern is the pattern that we see is the word of God being shared. The word of God being trusted in God doing a work in a person's life and them trusting in it. And immediately following that is, is baptism. Uh, that seems to be the normal pattern that uh, is recognized in in the New Testament. And so I just wanted to point out, mainly because of what you were talking about a minute ago, Spencer, about the importance of the Word. And I don't want to separate baptism from the Word, because without the Word, if I just stood up there in the baptistry and didn't say anything, person comes in, dunk them underwater, up, out, okay? And we just keep doing that. Or if I'm like, okay, here's John, nothing. Nothing. Right. 
I don't, that's not baptism then. Right. Right. It's something different. Or same mm-hmm. with Lord's Supper. All right. Pass out the cracker. Pass out the juice. All right. Eat it. Drink it. Mm-hmm. All right. No, the, the word is a, is what drives those things. The word is what makes those visual signs worth anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they're, they're representing that word to us. And, and the word is, is what needs to be brought out. And I'm really thinking about that, knowing where the sermon series is going with next week being, we're going to look at why we're told to read the word in that and preaching. Mm-hmm. And I have had, I, I've had people in my office at times. I've had people in conversations um, try to debate with me what is most important in the service. And oftentimes to them, it's not the preaching. It's something else. <coughs> Excuse me. And I just want us to see that even in something as important as baptism, which I do believe most people in our congregation would say is very important, that the word is what drives that, right? Um, baptism isn't what's saving these people. It's the word, right? God yeah. saving them. Yeah. And I think I think it's helpful too for people um, to, to realize the word is the totality of the service. Yeah. The yeah. word is preached. Mm-hmm. The word is read. The word is visualized yeah. in and, baptism in the Lord's Supper. And the word is sung. And the, the word, word is, yeah, we address yeah. the word yeah. of God mm-hmm. to each other mm-hmm. and respond back to God. Mm-hmm. Um, we're supposed to pray in accordance with the word. So um, it's mm-hmm. not like you got the word here and then the ordinances over here. <laughs> yeah. It's the, the ordinances are are different there's different forms in which the word of god takes mm-hmm. some of it sometimes it's paired with a des- designated visible um a sign yeah and and i think that's just like so the the totality of the whole service should be god's word to us and, and us responding to and it. that was luther's beef right because it wasn't word centric correct they put the pulpit in the center as to say listen it's not the sacraments it's the word of god and the yeah. sacraments fall in place mm-hmm. or in lieu mm-hmm. of that right 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 yeah 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 that's a good point uh I did say something in the service I wanted to take back after after I said it and thought about it a little bit. But in talking about how um, the gospel is shared and the gospel is believed, and I had read out of Romans one sixteen when Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I had mentioned how um, it seems as if a lot of uh, Christians, a lot of church people are becoming ashamed of the gospel. And I mentioned it in terms of like preaching styles, and I want to be careful about equating the gospel with the mode of how the gospel shared. And I, I don't know if I highlighted that too too well because I had said like uh, there are people who want it to be like a TED talk or they want this. And, and I do think that the gospel can be shared well in different types of, of preaching, you know. Um, and so I do think you could do a good TED talk and share the gospel. I, I, I do think that that can happen. What I should have said, I think, and, and maybe said it a little better, is it seems like people in churches are moving away from what the gospel is, where they're ashamed to talk about sin in any real sense. They might just mention it. Or they're 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 getting away from the gospel and, and understanding that the gospel is the power to which God saves people, to where it seems like, well, the gospel is something we share, but we have to put some power behind it so that people will trust in it. And the power we put behind it is marketing and strategies and these different things that that's now what we're relying on. Not the gospel to do the work in people's heart. We're relying on this flashiness or these different things. And sadly what that communicates, I think to our church members is when we do that is like, you can't go do this on your own unless you're really good Mm -hmm. at it. 
You know what I mean? I mean, you got to have it down. You got to have right. some flash. You got to have some charisma. You got to have some personality or else people are never going to trust this because look at you, you're boring. And it's like, well, the power is not in me. The power isn't in that. And so we have to make sure that we are preaching the gospel, that we are sharing the actual gospel with people and trusting that God's going to take that message, which he promises, and use it in people's lives to change their life because this is what changes their life. And so just trying to reference like Paul saying, I didn't come to you with this eloquent speech. but I came to you with a Savior that's crucified, died, and rose again. That's what I have. And he's used, but that God would use that, right, to save people. That's what I was trying to get across there, and I don't know if it came across that way. I don't know. You guys would know better than me. I guess you were listening uh, maybe <laughs> at that moment. But I think that makes sense. I mean, because your reference to a TED Talk is that in order for the gospel message to be effectively heard, you have to communicate it in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You have to have a certain kind of uh, ability to speak well or to, to keep it nice and short. The presentation is what matters, not the content. And what you're saying is people often, for the sake of the presentation, leave the content behind. And that's what we don't want to do. Yeah, I've just I've heard some dynamic preachers that when you go away from it, you're like, what was that? I mean, he he said a lot of good things that I thought were interesting, and he was easy to listen to, right? And time kind of flew by as he talked, but I don't think that he preached the word of God. I think I think he preached something something different. But then on the flip side, you can listen to somebody who's boring as all get out, very monotone, which I don't encourage people to be. I mean, I think you should get better as you as you speak and preach but you can go away saying but what he said was the word of god he showed me the word of god today mm-hmm. right and i'm appreciative of that and it's like which one would i rather have i'd, well, I'd rather have this guy who was monotone but was faithful to the word of god and, and shared what it said and <clears throat> understanding again it's not in the individual you know it's it's god working through his word and being faithful to it that that is important. And so as this gospel is believed, again, the pattern is we see baptism happen. Uh, we see baptism take place. And that's what kind of just leads to the question. So if this is the pattern, then who can be baptized? Well, it seems that it's those who have been saved by God's grace. That seems to be the pattern in the New Testament as salvation, redemption, and then bap- and baptism. Um, and so that even Paul, it seems, assumes that, you know, in Romans in Romans 6, he, he's writing to this church and he's pointing them to their baptism, that you've been baptized, right? This has happened here. Um, and I think that's important that uh, throughout the New Testament, there's never this category of non-baptized believers. It's just not there. There's no evidence for that. And I, again, I brought up the thief on the cross. Just <clears throat> odd situation. It's a very odd, odd circumstance, right? And I'm glad we have that because we do see that salvation isn't, or baptism isn't necessary for salvation, right? Taking there, we know that, and we can go to the thief on the cross for that. But we can't then just push baptism away altogether because all other Christians in the New Testament are baptized, mm-hmm. even Paul himself, right? When Paul's saved, his eyes are open finally. He'd been blind for a while. He's getting taught, and it's like, you need to be baptized. Right. It seems to happen. I didn't read that section i can't mm-hmm. remember where that is, is 
So about Paul's conversion? Not his conversion, but when he was baptized. Yeah, I don't know if that's the same chapter. X9 and X22. 22, I think, both is of where them. that is. Yeah, yeah. Where An- yeah, Ananias says, rise and wash away your sins yes. and be baptized, calling on his name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was funny. Uh, you, we, we talked about previously, and, and there is the sense in which the one time uh, with the thief on the cross, right? We, and we, we said, you have two options, get crucified or get <laughs> baptized. Yeah. But then later on, after thinking about it, I thought, but he those was, are actually the same thing. Yeah, he was baptized with Christ. And that his, Jesus that, himself, yeah. and this is the interesting thing. Jesus talks about his death and says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. Right. Oh, yeah. The suffering. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm going to be submerged under the waters of God's wrath. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You're going to be baptized with me, too. Mm-hmm. And so our baptism is, as we see in Romans chapter 6, Galatians chapter 3, where Paul says, for as many of you were baptized, have put on Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so what I think is really important is, and this is, I think, the the fascinating instinct that Paul has, and you see this, and this is where it leads into your, your the, the what, what, what baptism preaches to us, tells us about, but also um, the way it functions in the Christian life. Paul's answer in Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Most of the time today, we would say, well, no, because if you keep sinning, you're going to show that you're never really a believer. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul says, don't you remember you were baptized? Mm-hmm. You, you're, you were united to Jesus. So you died with Christ and you've risen with him. You're united to him. You were crucified. You, you were drowned and the old you is dead. The new you is is alive. Mm-hmm. And really, I think Ferguson points this out in his book. Baptism is a naming ceremony where we are renamed. Mm-hmm. And the name of God is put on us, the Father and the Son um, and, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's also, so it's it's a union with Christ. It's a death. It's a resurrection. But also, one last thing that made me think about again was the priests in the Old Testament um, was told to put the name of God on the people. And it was a blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, putting the name of God on the people of God. And that's what baptism is. It's when God puts his name as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on us. And we are now marked as God's people. And you can never be unmarked anymore. Now, you you can reject that God, and you will actually be held to account for even greater light Mm. That, you know, if you go on and that's what Paul said, or the writer to the Hebrews says, if you, if you, if you've tasted of the heavenly gift and you reject this, um, and you've participated externally in baptism, participated externally in the life of the church, you will be held to greater judgment because to whom much is given, much is required. Hmm. But, um, to all who believe the gospel message as it's, they've heard it. And if they've confessed faith in Christ and received baptism in the Lord's supper, um, they they receive what that what that believe what that points us to and preaches to us and believe in that name. Well, then that functions for their whole Christian life to found their faith and and their 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 sanctification. Um, so there's actually also in a sense in which baptism is a double edged sword. Um, those who have been baptized but were never actually believers will be held accountable for having received the gospel visibly applied to them. Um, you can never be unbaptized anymore. Um, you, it's, it's just impossible now. Uh, you, you either believe it now or you turn away from it. Um, 
that's that's our that's our 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 belief but we know that ultimately all those whom the father has given to the son will make it safely uh to the other side um and persevere but i think baptism in a lot of ways is so comprehensive of all of christianity that in a lot of ways for paul um it everything is summarized in baptism union with christ and blessing and being named uh with the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit um i just think there's a fullness there mm-hmm. the whole burrito the whole enchilada <laughs> i did have somebody come up to me after service and it was helpful i i had thought about mentioning it but i didn't but in the in acts 8 34 through 38 you'd notice if you're reading the esv there is no 37 right um and he he was saying in the King James version, it it has a if you believe with all your heart. Yeah, and he says I do, I do believe with all my heart. And he was, why does this, why is the ESV not saying this? Um, it, the fact is, not all manuscripts have that have thirty seven. There were some who would argue that was an addition, maybe a little later, uh, to combat something that was going on mm-hmm. during the day of maybe people being baptized without a trust in Christ first or or something. Right. Um, but I just wanted to bring that out that, yeah, and most Bibles would have a note saying that. I don't know. What do you have there, Spencer? Yeah, it just says late manuscripts insert verse 37. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's a it's a textual mm-hmm. uh, thing there. Uh, but I thought that was, was good to mention. Let's talk about this because I know Spencer and I talked about this quite a bit last week. Um, I, think it, I think it's helpful because I did, I did bring it up. The term uh, public profession of faith. I tried to define what that means, what it should mean. Uh, <clears throat> I'd just like to hear your guys' thought. Normally, that's what you hear baptism talked about. This is your this is your public profession of faith. And when me and Spencer were talking about it, it does seem like what's being brought up in that is this is an individual stepping out in faith and doing something to almost earn something, like making it real. It's almost like... Well, yeah, God saved me, but it has to have my stamp of approval for it to be real. And I do think we need to be careful with that language of talking about what do we mean if we say public profession of faith. I think it needs to be defined well, right? Spencer, does that help with the conversation me and you had? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's an important yeah. thing to talk about. So I don't know if you guys want to talk about that some i think it'd be helpful for people yeah i mean i don't know how else you would define it other than what the words actually mean you are publicly professing faith in christ uh in the same way that the the three thousand people after peter's sermon at pentecost they they publicly it's a it when peter encouraged them repent of your sins be baptized that they were doing that publicly okay i'm doing that right like i'm doing that right now I think it helps balance our understanding of what's happening in baptism. Because what you were just saying, Spencer, a second ago, is very true. It's something that God is doing to us, but we are doing something in being baptized as well. We are publicly professing faith in Christ. Uh, We are doing that. Uh, And you brought that out a little bit later in your sermon, that there is that element of that. Um, But that's also, I think, part of why we have to be careful uh, to make sure that are the people who are being baptized, do they understand this? Like, if we're going to be carefully defining it, we need to be able to carefully define baptism and what that person's actually doing. Mm-hmm. Do they understand 
this decision that they're making in that sense. It's, I guess I'm just saying it's the other side of the coin that there is more happening in baptism than just, um, than just one thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's, it's a true statement. Yeah. As I said later, I think something that's happening in baptism is there's, uh, there's a dialogue that is taking place and what needs to be first and foremost in the dialogue is God's voice in it and God's work in it. And that's, I think sometimes what gets separated from this idea of public profession of faith, where it's like, no, what I'm doing is first and foremost here. I'm publicly out here professing this. And that's not what's happening, right? It's, it's God is professing what he has done in your life. Now there, what you're exactly right. Yes, but yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. You're exactly right. The individual has to walk into the water, right? The individual is doing something. There, There's an act there, and what the individual is doing is saying, this is what I think it should be saying, is God has saved me. Yeah. God has brought me into his family, and God wants me to be baptized. It says it in Scripture so mm-hmm. clearly. Mm-hmm. And because of what he has done, I want to, I want to do this. Yeah. And it's not so much then about me doing something it's god doing something and that idea that idea of baptism being the beginning not the end i think is key in that yeah as well yeah i would just i was just going to say um we wouldn't baptize somebody who has not made a public profession of faith in christ we wouldn't sure because it's not just about something that's happened to them unbeknownst to them that they're not an active agent in some way, but what I think you're doing uh, well and helping us carefully think through is that we also don't believe that baptism is the end. It's not what saves you, what you mentioned in your sermon Mm -hmm. and helpfully pointed out to parents of oftentimes the only thing parents care about is that their child gets baptized because what that means is they've made a public profession of faith in Christ equals they are now saved forever yeah. because you can't lose your salvation. And that's how they think about that. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's something that's happened culturally, I would say, probably going back to the same revivalistic tendencies that churches have had for mm-hmm. a long time, to baptize anybody and everybody <clears throat> who would simple make a simple profession of faith with zero credibility um, or zero understanding mm-hmm. of what the Christian faith even is. Um, yeah, in one of the books I read, it said, if the individual isn't saying anything, then what pastors should do is they should just go around dunking people in the water all the time Yeah, because then it's getting done, right? And then you're – because, oh, this doesn't matter what they think. It yeah. doesn't matter what they say. Just the, bam, get them down are, there real quick. And there are denominations that believe the individual isn't saying anything in their baptism because they can't say anything. They're infants. Well, I think they would, I think this is a difference and this is maybe where I approach things a little differently. I would make a distinction between qualifications for being a subject of baptism from what baptism is. Similarly, um, so um, the first thing I think in this discussion is the emphasis needs to be placed upon primarily what's happening in baptism is God is saying something Mm -hmm. and preaching his gospel to us. Uh, Second of all, I think it's fascinating that the verbs that describe baptism is no one baptizes themselves. It is a passive thing. Mm -hmm. You are baptized. You receive baptism. So every single, so no one can go and uh, baptism is never an active act of anybody. Mm -hmm. It is a passive act 
where you go and you receive baptism from somebody else. Um, on the other hand, there is the, the old Baptist uh, catechism <clears throat> would define baptism as, first of all, a sign of fellowship with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, forgiveness of our sins, um, eternal life. And then it says also, though, uh, giving up of ourselves to, to walk in newness of life, basically something like that. So I do think there is a response. It's an ongoing obligation now that I have because I am baptized. I am in Christ. Which is why Paul and the other New Testament writers would point people to their baptism. Correct. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the danger is here is how baptism functions practically in my life then. Because even if baptism is half my profession, is half of me deciding to follow Jesus, and it's primarily about my decision, because what that would then mean for Romans chapter 6 would be, Paul would be saying, are you to continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, may it never be. Do you not know that all of us who have, and it would be throwing me back on my own decision, did you not know that you decided to follow Jesus? And there, that is true. I hope people decide to follow Jesus. But the problem is, is at the end of the day, if I'm thrown back on my own decision, ultimately, then I'm going to be in, in, a, in a world of hurt internally. And what Paul seems to be doing is to highlight to them what happened in Christ and what their baptism reminds them of to live out of rather than um, my personal faith again, because my faith ebbs and flows, but baptism preaches to me the object of my faith. So I think there is a sense in which the baptized, the person being baptized is, um, is uh, agreeing with God is, is the, the verbs used again um, uh, in baptism. I think, I think there's parallels with John's baptism and, uh, and um, <clears throat> Christ's baptism. And what we see happening there on the part of people is confession of sins. And I think it's very important. I don't think they're confessing sins to John the Baptist. I think that's a prayer to God primarily. Mm-hmm. Similarly, um, whenever Paul is told in Acts, um, rise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. That's prayer again. As we know, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I think the primary thing that's happening here is God is speaking to us and we respond in faith. But our response is always the secondary element. And it calls then for a lifelong response back to God I would for just, the whole life. I would just say that, yes, it is what God is it's symbolizing what God has done to us, but we don't put that symbol. We don't, we as pastors do not perform that on people that have not already responded. So the response can't just be after your baptism. We don't, we don't baptize somebody that hasn't made it. Correct. But that's where, but that's where I would say the distinction is between the subjects. I would agree on that in the sense in which the subjects of baptism are to be those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, repentance towards God and obedience toward him. Yeah. But that is a different statement than what is baptism. Yeah, right. I, I, I think that's a helpful, that's a distinction that's a helpful that I would, distinction you're making, but it's at the same time where I would just say understanding who the proper subject of a baptism is, is a very important thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because, uh, it, you, we don't just baptize people passively. We don't baptize somebody who has not made a public profession of faith in Christ. Uh, we only do it afterwards. But it's it's helpful to to see that distinction mm-hmm. uh, there. Um, but that is that's a part of it. Uh, yeah. And it also highlights that you don't baptize somebody who doesn't have any understanding Correct. at all. Correct. Of faith 
or what the baptism itself symbolizes. We don't do that. Correct. And so that's just where I would say if you if you take away an emphasis on this being a public profession of faith, I think you're inevitably going to lose that of people just just baptized. I would disagree, but um, but I think part of uh, I mean I again I don't want to deny that people I'm not saying go baptize people who are non-believers. It's not what I'm saying. I just think, for instance, whenever uh, Tim used the wedding analogy, um, baptism is a sign from God to us. And whenever I put the ring on my wife's finger and I said, with this ring, I thee wed. And I don't, we didn't actually use those vowels, but I, you know, we you get the it. point. We use different ones, but yeah, I wish we would have gone with the old book of common prayer service now, but Courtney won that one. Yeah, no, it's, anyway, but, um, uh, anyway, but my point is the person speaking at that time was me, not her. And similarly, and now my wife was consenting to be my wife and she was receiving the ring on her finger. And in receiving that ring, she was also assuming now she responded after that because this was a relationship of equals, but with God to us, he's putting the ring of baptism on us and saying, I'm wedding you. I'm marrying you. You're mine now. And we receive that. So it's, I just think it's very important that in baptism, we understand the voice of, that is speaking is God. It's, it, that's the voice that we heard at Jesus' baptism. Mm-hmm. That's the voice you, that whenever the name is put on us, we don't, get, we, don't, we don't put our name on it. It's God's name put on us. And I think the emphasis just needs to be put, made sure that, because if we get the emphasis wrong, then I think um, then baptism becomes not a sign of what God's done for me, but it's a sign of what I'm doing for God. Yeah, and I, that's the danger. I agree with everything you're saying. I'm just trying to highlight the fact that what you're explaining right now needs to be understood Correct. by that person. Correct. And when that person's getting baptized, I think part of what is being said is, I understand that that's happening to me right now. Sure, sure. In the sense that, yeah, that's happened to me. Right. This is happening to me right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a profession of faith, in, in a sense, or a profession that you understand that, that you're trusting in that. Mm-hmm. So I my what I was saying, my fear was earlier, is that if we don't understand that aspect of this, then I think we will be more free to baptize people who probably don't understand what is actually happening in baptism. So I guess the question is, how important is it that a person being baptized understands what their baptism means, mm-hmm. right? And we can go different levels with that of, do they have to be this theologian that's read uh, five books on it, done like a 10-week study on mm-hmm. baptism? Does it have to be a person that can use all of the right words mm-hmm. in vocabulary, to properly identify do they have to memorize romans chapter six you know do we put well, all we these require that i think oh, we, we, yeah. we require that i think so i'm just saying like there's there's obviously different levels of understanding correct but i yeah. would argue that if the person being baptized can't understand what you're explaining right now they they probably don't need to be baptized that's what that's what yeah. i would personally say i don't know if yeah I don't know if you could say that because I don't know if the people who listened to Peter at Pentecost could say what Spencer just said. But yet when they responded to the gospel, they said, what do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. Yeah. Now, I would hope that they grew enough to learn that mm-hmm. this is what their baptism meant. But I don't know if they would have known that at that moment. I don't know if Lydia would have understood that at that moment. I don't know if 
uh, the eunuch would have known that at the moment. We don't have what Philip said to the eunuch. I don't. We don't have fully what Paul said. We do have what Peter said, mm-hmm. and he didn't explain all of that perfectly like that. At you know least what, I mean? what we have written down in right, the scriptures. Right, that's what I mean. And so um, I think there is something to be said of, of growing in your faith and understanding more of your baptism and what yeah. it has mm-hmm. meant. I was baptized when I was seven or eight. Could I have said what Spencer said? Absolutely not. Um, but... God has grown me into that to where I look back to my baptism knowing that that is what it was. And I would never say, well, now I know better, so I should be rebaptized. No, mm-hmm. no. And that's the way I would encourage parents, too, because that would be the big question is with children about baptizing them uh, of what do they need to know. You know, and, and my question is, well, what is holding you back from baptizing them? Do you believe that Christ has saved them? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I do. Well, then why would we hold baptism from them? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's right to hold that. And now it's your job as a parent. It's our job as a church to train them and teach them as they continue to grow, to understand all of this more. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to be careful to place an amount of intellect all the time on the work that God has done in someone's life. And I, I know that's what you're saying. But yeah. There. I think some of, I mean, I mean, Spencer is what some of the things that he's pointing out helpfully for us is things that have been misunderstood about baptism by a lot of people for a long time, especially in Baptist circles. I would just say, especially coming from my background, being where it's Baptist central mm-hmm. in Kentucky, everybody's a Baptist, where there is an emphasis on being baptized without actually knowing anything about the faith. Yeah, get them dunked. And, yeah. Just dunk mm-hmm. and you're done. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. That's that's what I'm responding to. Yeah, yeah sure. Baptizing somebody with zero mm-hmm. understanding about yeah. what they're doing is is not helpful. Sure. And so yeah. what I mean yeah. by a profession of faith, I mean, there's an understanding of the faith, mm-hmm. right? So if, if, if a child is able to explain mm-hmm. salvation yeah. and what that is, then that's a profession of faith. Right. And that, that can be a qualified baptism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I come from a context where people are baptized right and left and never come back to church. Mm-hmm. Well, They're never part I, of it I ever agree, again. And I have seen that too. I guess this is for me one of the things too is where the term, we talked about this before, the phrase public profession of faith. Um, because we were even talking. And what I was saying, I understood by that. You seem to have a different th- idea in your mind, just your gut reaction, uh, Tim. I'm talking to Tim now. I mean, about what that meant. And um, because what you're saying, Scott, I think is is I've seen that too. Um, what I would be responding to is I would say though, and maybe maybe this is different from what you're saying, is I've seen that in churches where I'm from in Southern Missouri, but it would still be people would understand baptism still as my decision. It's always about my personal decision, even sure. if they don't have the content of the gospel right, mm-hmm. like what you're saying. The emphasis, though, on what is being done in baptism is I am deciding this is all about me. And so even so, it's still about me, even if the content of the faith is is uh, they don't have the content that you're saying as well. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm approaching this, where you're coming at it. That's why I guess I'm saying the term public profession of faith needs to be really defined on what you mean by that. And uh, because that technically that term isn't used in the new Testament, right? There's that phrase is not used um, Mm -hmm. anywhere. Um, So uh, it's how you understand what you're meaning by that. My understanding would be it's of the, the 3000 people who Peter 
urged to repent of their sin and be baptized, they were baptized. It's it's a response. You're you're being baptized is a response. Yeah, so you're using that as a as a thing for receiving his word in verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized. Yeah. The receiving the word is Yeah, I had read in one of the commentaries that that was what the that is what those people would have understood as receiving the word and repenting was baptism. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that was the response where I tried to mention that in the service a little bit. I think I think the public profession of faith now in in a lot of Baptist churches is come forward. Mm. Not yeah. even baptism. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's come forward. Right. Uh, come to the altar. Mm-hmm. Come kneel down. Mm-hmm. Now you've made a public profession. It is real mm-hmm. right, right now. And uh that's sad because that's not number one. God didn't give us coming forward. He's right. given us baptism. Mm-hmm. And now, now there's a misunderstanding mm-hmm. even of what that is. Like you said, it seems to be more me centric. It's like God has met you halfway. Are you willing to meet him the right. rest, the rest yeah. of the half? And it's right. like, oh, I don't think that's what the gospel is. Right. 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 There, there's a difference there. And, and sadly to a lot of people, that's what baptism is. It's God's met you halfway. Are you ready to go the extra step? Okay, right. you did it. You publicly professed. Good job. You're his. Right. It's like, no, that's not what's happening. Yeah, and so either. it's got to be super mm-hmm. careful <clears throat> right. of who we baptize yeah. to make sure that they don't think that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's Correct. that's something that's become so ingrained in churches, mm-hmm. and especially Baptist churches, that we've got to be – that's why I, I would probably err more on the caution of who I'm willing to baptize, uh, baptize because I just want to really make sure – that they don't think that them being baptized is what m- makes them safe. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I would say, mm-hmm. Scott, that I would, I think I'm changing a little bit where I would have in the past really been cautious on who I baptized, but I'm afraid now that it was too cautious. Um, and I'm not saying I turned anybody away before and they were mad or anything. I just... Uh, I just want to be careful with that, especially especially if I'm going to be in a church where we say baptized believers are the ones who partake in Lord's Supper. And then I'm I'm withholding Lord's Supper from a true Christian because I won't let them be baptized. I would I guess in my conscience right now I struggle with that thought because I don't want to keep them from that just because of a little technicality that makes me uncomfortable to baptize them. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh so I, I just think I'm changing a little on that. I don't know where it is because I even mentioned in the message, right? I'm not saying I'm for spontaneous baptisms. Like, come on up here and let's get going. Yeah. There needs to be a discussion. I just am wondering in my own mind, I guess, where my line is because uh, it seems to be changing a little bit because I don't want to hold people from something unnecessarily, right? Sure. But even yeah. in that, what you're talking about is – you, the whole reason you wouldn't do a spontaneous baptism is because that thought makes you feel uncomfortable too, right? It does right now, but I, I mean, I guess I could see a time when maybe that could happen. I could see, you know, where let, this is... I'm just saying at some level, yeah, you yeah, want yeah, to yeah. make sure the person being baptized has an understanding of what they're doing. I would say that's my job as a pastor. Agreed. Yes, I, I agree guess. with that. Yeah. No. No, I, I yeah. No, I think no, I think that's a really good discussion. I mm-hmm. I guess for me too. Um and uh yeah, this is long. I just think though everybody's oh, turned I'm, off so on my us, mind. Just on my here. mind what I'm thinking as well is part of the baptism a discussion as we're talking about um you know, we all agree that 
faith is required for baptism, mm-hmm. or at least a, a visible profession of faith, a visible, a visible showing that you have received the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As that is, that is at minimum. Everyone agrees with that. The question is then how strict, I'm going to use that word. Maybe that's not the best word, but yeah, yeah. how strict you are in judging that. But then second of all, I think the discussion also is, um, and I think this is a tied in because I, um, I, I'm, I'm not, I've not had your exact experience, Scott, but I, I can identify with much of what you're saying from my experience in church life in Southern Missouri growing up and everything. And I think part of the problem though, too, is not just simply baptism. And we would all say this too. It's also the total, um, the message of the church in general, um, because sometimes churches can, can, they preach the gospel, but there's not really a depth there. And so if people are getting baptized and joining the church, there's nothing to really sink their teeth into once they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, church, uh, the practice of, uh, shepherding in the life of the church with pastors and church members. So in a sense, it's not simply baptism is one component of also the total life that you're trying to, that you're trying to. So I I guess what I'm saying is it's all connected to that whole picture um, to, to where uh, if, if you're going to baptize uh, have, uh, I guess in a sense, less strict standards for baptism, you also want to make sure, though, that you have a community, a yeah. church community that's ready to receive yeah. those people yes. and help them grow up in the gospel. And that's, and, and that's yeah. a problem in, in churches as well as yeah. people are not helped to grow sure. right. in the yeah. gospel, yeah. too. And that's, that, that's a really good point, and you're exactly right. This is a conversation that goes beyond what do we think about baptism. Yeah. Because, I mean, I've, I've recently said this to someone, um, a person who's come to me and asked for so-and-so child to be baptized i didn't feel comfortable doing that Mm. because they were not regularly attending our church they just wanted their child to be baptized right Mm -hmm. versus versus on the other hand there's a there's another person that has a child that is professing faith that wants to be baptized yet they are heavily involved in the life of our church i know for a fact that their parents are doing devotions at Mm -hmm. home and explaining the gospel to mm-hmm. their family on a regular basis. Yeah. Right. I feel very differently about those two Correct. scenarios. Yeah, that's good. So it's not just about the profession of faith in that instance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is more about what does our church believe we are doing here? Right. What does this family believe about the expectations of, of how they are going to raise this child? Correct. And, and bring them here. All of that gets wrapped up yeah. into that. Yeah. And, and so that's why mm-hmm. in a church setting that has much less of that, mm-hmm. That I would feel more strict. Whereas what you're saying, Tim, the more our church has an understanding of how parents and uh, of a parent's responsibility to mm-hmm. raise their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord, if that's very clearly present in there, mm-hmm. I feel much more comfortable about baptizing yeah. a younger child because I know for a fact that this is seen as the beginning point, mm-hmm. not as the end point. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're right, Spencer, all of that comes into play. And, and I think too, I mean, Tim, what you've done is a really good job of, of just kind of like, you know, here's what scripture teaches. So what's, what's holding you back, mm-hmm. you know, because I think part of it, like for me growing up in a Catholic church and not having, you know, being around, uh, you know, evangelicals and, and understanding the word of God, it wasn't even on my radar when I got saved at 17. And then I heard a pastor talking about baptism and he walked us through Romans six. And he said, you know, if you haven't done this, you know, what's stopping you? And I'm like, 
Yeah, but it was never on my radar. I think a lot of people come to church and they're like, oh, I never thought about that before. You know, it's right. just, it's, and so that's the word element. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happening in our church. People are hearing it and they're seeing it and they're like, Correct. yeah, this is something that I need to do. And the Holy Spirit's working and then we can come alongside. Mm-hmm. And work. So anyway. Yeah. No, I'm going to use one example real quick before we go. Uh, that's going to, that makes even me uncomfortable, but I think the principle has a kernel of truth in it. And it was a different tradition. Uh, it was a tradition that baptizes babies. Uh, but one of the things they, they brought up this question, uh, basically like, would you baptize the kid of somebody who isn't a member of your church? And they said, and I totally disagree with this. So I'm not affirming this. I'm just, but the, you'll get the point. They said, yes, but we want them to know they belong to us now. And what they're meaning by that is they're a part of our church family. I totally disagree with that practice, but I do think there's the truth in this. If small children or younger children or under teenage children are baptized, there also needs to be a, an understanding like what we're talking about is they're not, it's not that we're saying they're, they're not underneath your parental care and authority anymore, but you also need to know they're now part of us now in a way that they weren't even before previously. There's a, there's a, there's a new degree of, of, of uh, nurture that needs to take place within the context of the church now that maybe was not even, I, I just think that that component is, is a helpful thing that there is these, uh, and, and I think our church is doing a really good job of having many, many ties and, and a thick connection with children, hopefully growing up in the faith and just naturally joining the church through baptism and, and coming to know the Lord and then uh, becoming vital parts of this church. But I think that's a that's a, an important element for parents, like what you're saying, Scott, is, but now you need to realize they're, they're now part of us in a way that they were not maybe officially before, but now they are. And um, I think parents just need to, to be aware of that. Um, and, and that means they need to also be part of the, the nurturing going on here at MMBC if they're a part of this church community now, mm-hmm. by membership now. Yeah, yeah, the, the, those two things are connected. Yeah. For sure. Well, as you can see, there's a lot to say about baptism. I need to cut this off because I got somewhere to go. I mean, I, we could stay, I guess, forever and keep talking about this. But it's an immersive It's an immersive experience. experience. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it's just us four talking now, and there's no chance anybody's listening at this point. I disagree. I'm sure someone's listening. Somebody. Somebody who's like working. They're waiting for Spencer's to tell me to go ahead. <laughs> to go ahead? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Up. Never mind. <laughs> That's okay. Right, let's, let's end this podcast right now. All right. I'll end it. Well, we do thank you for listening. Um, like I said, this coming Sunday, we'll be talking about... Uh, what does the Bible say about the public reading of the word and preaching preaching in terms of our public worship as we gather together corporately? Uh, so looking forward, looking forward to that. Uh, so we hope we see you this coming Sunday, Lord willing. But until then, we hope you have a, a great week. God bless.